Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's the Chai with your host, licensed marital and family therapist, Summer Haroon. So last week, our episode had Anessa Tabassum as she talked about being a survivor of domestic abuse. Um, that was the first part in the two-part series, and this is going to be the second part. This part is a little bit different. We're, we're going to talk more about what happened after, you know, her family found out about the abuse, Yeah, her... Um, uh, brother-in-law kicked her husband then out of the house and we're just continuing on from there so I know you guys were anticipating this for a week now hang on tight because that episode is not going to be continued here so part two let's go now to recap we left off with you're at your sister's place in Austin um, and it's interesting you didn't really tell them explicitly what happened they just saw you and then that's when hell broke loose. You know, your sister mm -hmm. was like, fuck this. Your mom was like, oh, hell not. And your brother-in-law was like, I'm gonna beat this bitch. Um, <laughs> and that's exactly how it happened. Pretty much. And he's just like, if I didn't have a daughter right now, I would beat the crap out of you. And I remember my sister said that, my brother-in-law said that. And they're just, cause they, they had like an eight month old at that time. Oh. My niece is only eight months. She's about to turn four now, but she was about eight months at that time. And they're like, if she wasn't here right now, we would beat the shit out of you. But we're just going to have to kick you out for now. Nice. Like, that's good. what's going to have to happen. It's really funny. Oh, wow. And he left with no shoes, his laptop. No laptop. Hopefully. He actually called us later that night saying, hey, I need my laptop back. Can I come by and grab it? And did you break like, it? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is not therapy, therapist me. This is me pettiness. Like, did you break it? I'm just asking. I'm just curious. We just threw it away. We're like, I don't care what you need. You lost every rights to anything in our life yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he even left about behind his Porsche keys. I threw that away. We threw everything away. Um, but yeah, so this is this is when like the remorse part kicks in. Oh, you know, I had made this grand gesture that I'm leaving, and it was just me like wanting to seek some comfort with my family. Mm -hmm. I hadn't decided that I wanted to leave him yet. I think that's another thing that y'all have. I, I don't say a lot on social media is because like. Yeah, I'm the strong woman that got out, whatever, but mm -hmm. it was not my decision to leave mm -hmm. at all. Like, and that's why I'm so, I'm so hesitant to talk to like girls that are like, oh, I want to get out. I'm like, it really isn't that easy. And honestly, I got really lucky with family support because that's how I got out. Because I was already with him being gone for 24 hours, like, okay, but like, I kind of want to see him again. Like, I, I want to be, I'm not sure if I want to leave him yet. Just mm -hmm. yet, you know, I had filed a police report and everything. And I had done all these things out of like pure adrenaline mm -hmm. that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. But as more time went on, the more I realized what I felt like I was losing. I'm like, I'm losing a marriage. I'm losing a life that, you know, I'm, I'm breaking my commitment I had with him in front of God. Like, mm -hmm. what is going on? I didn't say I was ready for all this. Mm -hmm. I didn't say I was ready to leave him. And, you know, obviously that's when all like, like I was saying, the remorse kicked in where, um, my sister, she, oh my God, I'm telling you, she was a superhero at this point. She took my phone. She's just like, you have no access to your phone. I'm, you're not, you're not going to even accidentally text him mm -hmm. like nothing. So she blocked him on all social media. He blocked, she blocked his number. And then she took my phone away from me. You know, she's like, I Bro, why are you after your phone so much? I feel like the, the other main character in your no story identity. is the phone. <laughs> like goddamn phone um she took my phone and she's just like i i'm gonna i'm gonna be you for a few days i i don't think you need to be on social media i don't think you need to be doing anything but trying to heal at this point so she took my phone and i remember a few days later i got my phone back and i was just looking through my text and i got a text from a random number saying hey can we talk mm -hmm. in my head like my heart skipped i'm like oh my god it's him mm -hmm. you know what I, I need to talk to him so i remember i went to like some like private area in the apartment and that was like texting and I, I knew it was him and my sister shut it down so okay she found me she's like who are you texting you know that's him you shouldn't be texting him mm -hmm. she checked my phone she's like all righty you leave me no choice we have to change your number mm -hmm. that same day she changed my number for my phone so at that point I had absolutely no way of communicating with him mm -hmm. anymore which is good you know I, I do love the aggressive 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 treatment my sister had with me um, because he did try to contact me in so many ways you know his parents called us so many times saying like oh like we're so sorry this happened we're so, we don't even know we're, we're so in awe we don't know what to say I'm so sorry that we let this happen like they were so sorry all of a sudden mm -hmm. you know now that they got caught trying to hide it up they were just so sorry that this had happened 
Um, I remember his dad called us and after a few weeks and we're just like, is there any way that she'll come back? Is there anything we can do to get her back? We want, we need her back. Mm-hmm. And after my, uh, I, I, I never talked to any of them. It was just mm-hmm. my family that was communicating with them. And they're like, absolutely not. There's no way in hell we're sending our daughter back. Mm-hmm. And then once they started to realize that we, I wasn't going to come back, mm-hmm. that's when my step, uh, my ex-stepfather, he was like, okay, but is there any way that, well, is there anything that we can help to deter you from speaking to the cops? Oh my gosh. So that's when like the true colors finally came out and I realized that they didn't really want me back. They just wanted to save their son. And they wanted your silence with it. They wanted my silence and they offered us $25,000. Holy shit. To not say anything. And let me tell you, that money sounded really good at the time, but Mm -hmm. we denied the request for any money. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just like one after the other, I just kept realizing that they didn't want me back. They wanted my silence. That's it. And that's when I first realized that this is probably something that had happened before. Really? It's not the first time they've covered this, something like this up. I'm sure he's had past girlfriends where he would abuse them. I'm I'm almost 100% certain. And now that like I built this platform, I've had women reach out to me. It's been confirmed. You know, so, you know, that was the first hint that I realized that I wasn't the first person that this happened to. Mm-hmm. And another thing was, um, uh, I think it was about end of January. So I had left on January 23rd mm-hmm. of 2018, literally three weeks after I had gotten married. And and January 30th, I remember I got my first email from him. He had this very long, very, very long email about mm-hmm. everything that he did wrong, you know, saying hadiths from the Quran, saying like, I failed you, Vanessa. I'm, I was the worst husband to you. Please come back to me. I will do anything it takes. I will go to counseling. I'll do whatever it takes to gain your trust and respect back. Like mm-hmm. the most beautiful things you want to hear from mm-hmm. somebody that's remorseful, he was saying it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just reading that and crying and being like, I forgive you. I'll come back. Like, I'll, 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 I'm back. I'll come back. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's so sorry, everybody. He's so sorry. Like, I need to go back. And yeah. everyone was just like, stupid oh my god no stop you're not going back I'm sorry anyone can say nice things yeah you know and that's why even to this day like when I have friends that their boyfriends do something wrong to them I'm like they're gonna say sorry honey Mm -hmm. everyone says sorry Mm -hmm. but believe their actions believe them when they show you who you are who they are Mm -hmm. you gotta believe them um, so he sent two more emails after that, you know, a few days apart, being like, I still haven't heard from you, Anessa. And the apologies kept getting bigger and stronger. And I felt more and more bad for him. Every time he would send me emails, like he was like stabbing me in the heart, like, mm-hmm. it's too late. It's too late. Like, I, I, I can't, I, I physically actually can't come back. So I'm, I'm now with my family now. There's no way they're gonna let me come back. And I remember just wanting him so badly. Mm-hmm. It was, I wasn't like, the strong, I was so weak. I just, I just wanted to go back to him mm-hmm. constantly. And this went on, went on for months mm-hmm. and the overwhelming guilt I felt for choosing to give up on our marriage. I can't even explain that. I felt so guilty for leaving because oh, wow. he seemed so sorry mm-hmm. and I messed up our marriage. I, I fucked it up. I left him. Mm-hmm. I didn't give us another shot. Yeah. That, that was the narrative I kept playing in my head. I gave up on us. I didn't give us another shot. Mm -hmm. This is over. And my life was in shambles. I had no money. Mm -hmm. I was in a completely new city. I didn't know what to do. And that's, this is the time that I slept on my sister's couch Mm -hmm. for a very long time. I slept on there from January to, um, I think it was May. And I, I couldn't even sleep on a bed. That's the whole reason why I was sleeping on a couch because of just all the trauma associated with being on a bed. Mm-hmm. that the couch is like my safe haven yeah. and um yeah it was just a very huge time of transition in my life where I would just wake up every day not knowing what to do with my life I have a job I had my undergraduate degree but I didn't know what to do with it I had no plans I didn't even know where I was gonna live mm-hmm. you know is what there I mean? a reason you stuck with your sister rather than go back home to your parents it was shame it was 100% shame I could not go back to North Dakota and face everybody mm-hmm. you know I had I had made this huge thing where I was leaving North Dakota I was starting a new life and mm-hmm. everyone had this huge farewell to me I just felt so shameful 
to come back to North Dakota after everything that happened. Yeah. Um, I felt like everyone was going to judge me. I felt, yeah, I just felt this complete and utter, utter shame. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember my mom was asking me, she's like, okay, are we going to go back to North Dakota? Or are you staying in Austin? Because she's like, I want to take you back. I need, I want you to live with us again. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her, I'm like, if I go back with you, I don't know if I'll make it. Like mentally, I don't know if I'll survive it. And I, I, I said that to her very seriously. And she's like, okay, you know what? If you wanted to not start a new life here in Texas, mm-hmm. then we'll let you. We'll mm-hmm. let you. Granted, again, I had no money. Mm-hmm. I had no job. Mm-hmm. I was living with my sister for three months, not knowing what to do with my life. And so, you know, once I made the, the decision that this is what I wanted to do, I went job hunting. I tried to find an apartment. I was severely in debt because of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it just, and my parents aren't wealthy enough to like support me fully at all. You know, I paid for my own college. I, yeah, like my parents, you know, they did the best that they could and they gave me a lot of, a lot of things in life. Um, but unfortunately they were not able to give like that financial aspect. So I knew that if I was going to do it, it was all going to be hundred percent on my own merit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just got an apartment. I found a job that paid $14 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived off of $14 an hour for about two years. Wow. That's it. I found I found an apartment with three other girls. So I was paying like $600 a month for like 200 square feet. Um, but that's that's how I took back control of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, because growing up being Desi, you have your parents hold this so much power. Even as a woman, like they hold so much power over you. Yeah. That I just transferred that power from my parents yeah and then I had gotten all this power back and I'm like I don't who do I give this to now mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't know what to do I didn't know who was going to make the life decisions for me and you know I think that's when I finally became my own person mm-hmm. because when I had all this power over what to do over my life it was probably the most freeing moment of my entire life I didn't have anything every month I was going into more and more debt trying to pay bills I had I was racking up on credit card debt but mm-hmm. all I knew was that I was my own person. I was finally getting free. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter the sacrifices I had to make. I knew that eventually one day I would be able to pay something back or get a job. But I just knew that I need to get out and make my own choices. So of course. That's, that's what I did. That's amazing. I want to hear more about like, so you're on your sister's couch. It's been like three months at this point and you're trying to like get things sorted. But when did the final break come? Because you said you felt so guilty about the you know like you you felt responsible for failing your marriage and not giving it a second chance so did the email stop at some point or was there just a final decision and the divorce was made and that's when you were like I have my own apartment I'm gonna get my own own job like I'm trying to understand more of the timeline of that and like your Mm -hmm. mentality how it progressed into I actually have more autonomy I have independence now I am responsible for myself no one can take my phone away from me at will no yeah. one can access yeah. all these the things phone. Them. the damn phone <laughs> everyone wanted my phone I swear um so actually that's a really that's a really good point to bring up so the emails everything stopped as soon as a restraining order took place and it took place on Valentine's Day of 2018 um Who so initiated got- that did you initiate that or did your parents or family say that we need this um I had to initiate it under my name obviously but mm-hmm. there's that had all the ideas and there's the one that helped me figure out how to do it and how to get it and pay for it um I was really lucky that I had a close family friend of ours who loaned me a sum amount of money in exchange for my freedom like and I think back to this day like it's one of a, a really close family friend and auntie that I hold really dear to my heart she's just like because I remember telling her like there's no way I can get out of this I don't have any money my parents don't have any money. There's mm-hmm. no way. Like divorces cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, I'm just going to give you this right now. I don't expect it back. And in my head, I knew that I was going to pay her back. And I did. Oh, wow. But she was she was just like, here's $10,000. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, I feel so privileged saying that, you know, like, wow, I had somebody to lend me money, you know. And now that I think about it, there's a lot of places where you can seek like free help. Mm-hmm. Um, and free services as well and shelters and whatnot but at that point I hadn't known about it yet and I was freaking out I didn't know what to do so she sent let me money and because of her I was able to start the divorce process start a restraining order and all that stuff so once you, you got to filed, pay for a restraining order sorry I don't know if that sounds ignorant but I 
Don't really um, so that that was the I had to pay for the divorce itself. Um, mm. I believe you do have to pay for a restraining order. So that, you do. Um, I know in some cases you might be able to get it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able I had to and the second he got served with all these paperwork is when finally when the harassment stopped mm-hmm. and nobody had even his parents weren't allowed to contact us anymore mm-hmm. because I mean it was against the law and he would go to jail if he did and it went both ways mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't also reach out to him anymore so once I realized that there's no way that I could contact that family anymore that's when kind of me moving forward started so I'm like okay I legally cannot even go back to that life anymore so what do I do next how do I move forward with my life mm-hmm. um but I was still definitely like even though I had filed for divorce I still religiously felt married you know like for a nikah there's I forgot what it was but you have to say a phrase I think it's like talak or something like yeah, three, times three times to, to end the nikah that, that's the only thing so yeah, there I was think only- that comes from the guy side too like I think yeah. for you for women it's a hula where you have yeah. to like go to the imam and then they annul the marriage but yeah. it's interesting yeah so it was very hard to be like I didn't even get to speak so I'll, I'll never hear those words mm-hmm. so how do I feel like I'm no longer married what do I need to do and the divorce took like 11 months to finalize oh, wow it took 11 months I was literally married for three weeks and it took a, I was in but I was technically in the marriage for a year mm-hmm. um yeah so um, I felt married and that that's what kept destroying me mm-hmm. because from January to May mm-hmm. I just felt like I couldn't move on with my life I was stuck in one place emotionally and um luckily the imam that had performed my ceremony he lived in Texas Mm-hmm. and so I finally got the courage to seek him out mm-hmm. and I went to him and it was during Ramadan that year and I was so distraught I remember just feeling being in the state of just like a manic state where I felt so frazzled I literally went up to him and I knocked on his door and he just looked at my face and he like smiles like hey Anessa like I haven't heard from you in a long time how are you and right off the bat I started shouting at him I started screaming at him. I'm like, how dare you? This religion is so fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like, because I still had the skewed view of Islam at that time. Mm -hmm. I had still had his perception of it. And, you know, when I I left him, I I took my hijab off. Mm -hmm. Like, just the idea of wearing a hijab just freaked me out so much. I was tired of being labeled a certain way because I knew he saw me out because I wore a hijab at the time. Yeah, he tainted it for you. He tainted something that you're supposed to do. Just like the bed, right? Like it took a mm-hmm. long time for you to get back to that place. And before that, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. So he tainted it for me. So I took my hijab off and I was talking to my mom, like, how could you, like, what kind of religion is this? It's so messed up. And he was just, man, like poor guy. He was just listening to me, just like cry and scream at him. He was really calm. Mm-hmm. He was so calm. He just sat me down. He's just like, I'm so sorry that all this had happened. He wasn't even saying, trying to defend Islam at that point. He was just letting me vent. Like, he was such a sweet man. And I'm saying sweet because he did pass away last year. Oh, I'm but, so um, Yeah, it was, that was definitely, like, a hard moment. But I'm glad I was able to have this conversation with him before he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, he, he heard my story in its entirety, and he said, Anessa, I have three daughters. Mm-hmm. I need you to understand that I have three daughters. And if any of them were in the position you're in, Mm-hmm. I would have told them to do the exact thing that you did mm-hmm. and he just kept saying I'm so glad that you left I'm so glad that you left and I kept telling him but I haven't I'm still married he's like what do you mean you're still married you're not married mm-hmm. like he finally gave me that last bit of like you validation you, y'all y'all stopped being married the moment he hit you yeah and then in my head I'm like okay there's a lot I need to learn about this religion Mm-hmm. and I because I started wearing the hijab on my own merit I started when I was 12 years old mm-hmm. so I had I had been wearing it for a decade and that's how much I need people to understand how much it meant to me yeah and like such a traumatic event made me just toss it in a second mm-hmm. I just toss it in a second you know so that's when I started to like slowly learn more about the religion and love it start loving it again and start learning it the right way to the point where I knew everything about it so that if anyone tried to spill facts on me I'd be able to fact check them on the religion Mm -hmm. um so after that conversation with my imam that's that was the first time I started to feel like I wasn't 
tied to that marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. But it, it took a few months. It definitely took a few months. And a few weeks after that, I got wind that he was already in a new relationship and that he was getting another nikah soon. Are you serious? <laughs> oh my God. It gets really juicy at this point. Yeah. Ooh, it's really juicy. spill all the juice. Spill the juice. Spill the juice. So um, I, ca- I can't. Oh no! Wait, wait, wait! We have to stay on brand. Spill the chai. Sorry, I have to stay on Spill brand. Spill the chai. Yeah. Spill <laughs> the tea. What's tea? <laughs> this is this is literally when everything. Um, this is when my strength started kicking in. You know, I was weak. I want to hit back. I wanted to go back and all this stuff from married to him. It took about four months. Um, and I remember I woke up one morning and my friend texted me. She's like, "Hey." I, I feel bad to admit this, but like, I've still been following your ex on social media. And I'm like, okay, what is this leading to? Uh, I guess curiosity killed the cat or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's just like, I just saw his story and I thought you should know about it. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you're not really that good of a friend if you're bringing this up. Like, I should not be knowing anything about him. That's the whole point. But she's just like, I saw another girl on his like Instagram story. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're really serious and like they're together. And uh, I saw a picture of it. And when I tell you, when I saw a picture of that girl, it was just this Bengali girl in healthcare who wore a hijab. And it was just like, it just fit the profile. And my heart broke because, you know, I was so, I was so like, oh my God, I left him. I left the marriage. He loved me so much. I gave up on him. And then I realized he had a type and he had a profile of the type of girl that he would constantly go after. Like a predator. Yeah. Predator. And that's when I finally realized that this guy is actually a predator. Mm-hmm. He found a girl very similar to me, similar background, wears a hijab. He only ever went for hijabis, you mm-hmm. know. And so when I found that, I was in this sense of betrayal. You know, all this, all this being like connected to him just fell apart. It just fell because I just realized that was just another number on his list of conquests. He got pretty far with me, granted. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That was just a number on this list. It wasn't as big of a deal. He didn't love me as much as I thought he did, you know, because just, just a few weeks ago, he was messaging me, I, I need you back. I, I want to be the best husband I could be to you. Mm-hmm. And now he had already moved on to another woman while we were still legally married. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what really taped me over the edge into finally just like creating the best I lo- life I could for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, my family, when they found out too, they were like, we need to reach out to her family. Like, she probably doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, if only somebody had warned us about yeah. what it was. And um, so I never reached out to her or her family, but they did. My parents did. My sister did, especially. She was like, we need to protect this girl at all costs. Like, he's just a predator. This is so scary. We reached out to them, and, you know, the family was really spooked. They're like, yeah, like, she's been talking about marriage and I feel like really isolated and everything that was happening to me felt like it was about to start happening all over again oh god you know like the cycle repeats itself new victim he repeats himself he just finds the next person and keeps it going you know Mm -hmm. um just about talk about religion and all that stuff and the more and more I I heard about this the more similarities I saw between us Mm -hmm. and then finally um after a few days I got a long message from her turned directly to me Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at work, so I like I paused, and I took a break, and I went outside to read this message. And it was a really long message that just boiled down to, "You don't know him like I do. Please oh. stop inter- interfering with my life. Like, move on, girlfriend." Type of deal. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and I didn't respond to that email, email um, that message, and I just remember thinking like, "It's too late. Mm-hmm. Too late." I remember thinking like. I was her six months ago. Mm-hmm. I remember being that girl who was like, y'all don't know what it's like. He loves me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew at that point, like, there was nothing we could do. And that's when I stopped. That's when I told my family, like, just stop. Like, there's, there's it has to happen. It's already happening. Mm-hmm. We need to stop contacting her family. And that's when I decided to, like, respect her and her decision. You know, as much as I want to get everyone out of it, as much as I want to save everybody, as much as I want to give everyone advice, I stopped saying that, like, I can only inspire, but I can never advise you. I'm not here to tell you to get out of your relationship. I'm not here anymore. And that's when that switched for me. You became so. a therapist in that moment. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what therapists do. We can't tell you to do anything. Exactly. We can only listen to you and help you help navigate your own emotions. Um, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that was the last time that I had spoke. Oh, I, I never really got to speak with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the last message I received. And I completely just backed out of it and told my family to back out. And they were like, no, like we have to pursue this. Like it's not fair. And I'm like, we can't save everybody. You know, I just totally disconnected from that at all. And from that moment on, it was just purely over continuing on with my career. I started going back to community college to go back to some sort of master's program. I knew I wanted to pursue nursing as much as other people, as much as even he told me that, oh, you're so much better than a nurse. You don't need to be a nurse. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I'm like, I'm going to take back my own life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went back to school and let me tell you, like I wasn't making any money. I was only $14 an hour in Texas. That's below poverty line. You know what I mean? I wasn't paying any of my bills correctly. I wasn't doing anything. And I was paying for school at the same time. I hadn't even gotten to any program at all. But all I knew was that I needed to move forward mm-hmm. in some way. So I was just blindly doing all these things, hoping that one day something would make sense. Yeah. And, you know, finally, that's how I slowly built back my life. And one thing that I, I haven't mentioned yet is that the criminal aspect of this. I filed the police report. Mm-hmm. That was a whole other battle that I was fighting that no one really knew about is because I was constantly getting phone calls from police officers, detectives, mm-hmm. attorneys, you know, as the case progressed more. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, that's when I realized that re- police reports take so long to process. Yeah. It took, it took 14 months mm-hmm. for mine to process to finally escalate into like a court trial. It took it took eight months for them to even find and arrest him. Eight months wow. of him just walking around in a new relationship, doing whatever he wanted in life. Like nothing happened, no repercussions. So um, it's it, it took a really long time and it really definitely took a huge toll on my mental health. Did you go and to I, trial? Um, so uh, I wanted to avoid that. I wanted oh. to completely avoid that. And so I didn't want it to go to trial. I really, I did not want to ever see him again. That was my whole thing. I didn't want to see him again. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it did. It did progress to like an in-person hearing. So we gave him a plea deal. He he pled not guilty once. We gave him another deal. He pled not guilty again. And after you plead not guilty twice, you have to give an oral testimony in person. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, it was March 4th of 2019. Mm-hmm. This was uh, 14 months, 15 months after everything had happened mm-hmm. that I actually had to fly to California mm-hmm. and actually see him in person in court. Um, so it was definitely extremely traumatic mm-hmm. having to see him again after, you know, like it's been over a year, like I'm finally moving on with my life and then having to go back and face him was very, very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so me and one of my very close friends, we went to trial. I gave my oral testimony. I was cross-examined by his attorney and the defendant and my attorney as well. And luckily, after I gave my testimony, um, the judge gave him another one last deal, plea deal, and he pled guilty. Because at that point, we he had realized that if he pled not guilty and this went into like a trial with real like people there like a real court trial he would have probably like given a sentence into jail Mm -hmm. and this was the last step before like this is the only way that he could avoid jail Mm -hmm. by taking this plea deal because the evidence was so strong you know I had pictures of my face we had a strangulation expert come in and you know tell how like the strangulation did happen these aren't just random marks on her neck and we had people come in left and right you know as witnesses and all that and we realized we had a really strong case mm-hmm. luckily I had a really strong case so he realized that he had to take a deal mm-hmm. and plead to felony offenses if you wanted to avoid jail what was that like for you to be in court like were did you so the last time you saw him before then that was when your brother-in-law kicked him out and this is yeah. the next time you saw him a year later in court what yeah. was that like for you it was so it was so difficult not gonna lie like that whole just being back in that same city where the incident took place mm-hmm. it was so traumatizing just being in that atmosphere um I remember like I decided that I wasn't gonna look at him mm-hmm. and I talked to my my attorney oh my god he was just the most amazing and heartfelt attorney mm-hmm. like he really just made a difference in my case and he's just like I believe in you like 
just tell your truth. Like you don't have to make anything up. Like your story is enough. And I know I can help you out. And so I just remember being like, he's just like, just look at me the entire time. Mm-hmm. Don't look anywhere else. That was his advice. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to look at you. Even when they're talking to me, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to respond to you. Mm-hmm. So I remember walking into court, just like really firm, just walking straight into the stand and sitting down by the judge. And then it's starting. And I didn't lose eye contact with my attorney the entire time because I didn't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting down and my attorney, he's like, okay. And we've, we, we've rehearsed this so many times. He sat down. He's like, all right, can you tell me the events that happened mm-hmm. on January 22nd of 27, um, 2018? Mm-hmm. These are events that took place 15 months ago, mm-hmm. you know, but obviously there was, I still knew every detail of it, you know? So I sat there and I was like about to speak and I was ready. I had rehearsed it. And then I just like choked. And then I was trying to talk and I was squeaking and I was fighting back tears in my head. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is my one moment to give my victim's testimony. And I choke and I could, I could feel his presence right in the corner of the room, just like probably laughing or something, you know? So it took me about a whole minute and a half to finally compose myself. And I just sat there. My attorney asked me the question. I just sat there looking at the desk. And then finally, I was like, got back up and I, I'm like, okay, let me restart. And then I talked for like five straight minutes. Like everything I kind of talked to you about, but like in much more greater detail because I had to. So it was excruciatingly painful just sitting there having to talk about it to a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that he heard my account of the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And after I gave it, I felt so proud of myself. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. I did that shit. Holy shit. I'm literally in a courtroom right now. I did this. I've gotten this far. This even, um, the fact that I'm even in a courtroom right now, giving my testimony, giving my two cents over what happened to me. Yeah. It was just so empowering. It was excruciatingly painful, but it was so powerful. And I remember like for a second, I'm like, I need to look at him. I don't know what got over me, but I like looked at him. I just glanced over at him. And it was just so like, he was just looking at me like, crooked smile just kind of shaking his head and going like you could just tell him being like you lying bitch you know it it felt like that I just looked at him and I'm like he's never he's never gonna admit to this he can never take accountability like he was gaslighting me to this very moment Mm -hmm. that this never happened you know so So that remorse all those times all that remorse was for nothing because in in essence he did admit it but in that moment when you're holding him, him accountable and you're in court and all of this is taking place, this is the moment where he's sitting across from you, like crooked smile as if like, oh yeah, right no. now. Oh no. my gosh. It was, and then I, I looked away right away and I looked back at my attorney. I finished the cross-examination and when they cross-examined me, they were saying how, oh, it looks like you guys were both pretty aggressive to each other. Were there ever times that you hit him? And I'm like, he's here. Mm. I was just in shock and I mean I was prepared for this my mm-hmm. attorney told me like it's gonna get pretty grimy mm-hmm. then I started accusing you of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. so just stick to the story it's fine oh, yeah. character assassination all the way so so difficult and you know and I just kept sticking to the facts and I was you know after that initial like hiccup I was very confident in everything that I was saying mm-hmm. and luckily within 30 minutes I was out of there they're like okay you're done you can leave the courtroom and I couldn't stay for the rest of like to hear everybody else like the strangulation expert I didn't get to hear her cross-examination or anything I had to leave the courtroom and then really? you had to leave you like or you yeah. wanted to no I had to leave they wouldn't let me sit down and watch it um why so is that I don't know why I just remember them being like yeah you have to exit the courtroom now I'm like oh okay and that was it and I left the courtroom and I remember when it was all over he like walked out and I caught a glance of him and he just walked out and he left the courtroom and that was it. And that was like my big meeting with him after 15 months. And of course, that was the last time I did see him for good because mm-hmm. um, the restraining order is still in effect to this day, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I was talking to my attorney and he's just like, all right, well, it's going to take about a month. I will call you on April 8th. And this was March 4th. And, you know, for that whole month, it was just kind of like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Like, like what's going to happen? I have no idea what the, what the hell is going to happen now. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really a, a month of just like feeling anxious all the time. But, yeah. you know, I was still really proud of myself. Yeah. And on April 8th, I was at work 
and I got a call from a California number and he was my lawyer. So I get on the call and he's just like, well, Anessa, he pled guilty to domestic violence and false imprisonment. He's gotten two felonies. Um, unfortunately, he avoided jail. Um, and so that's just another thing that's just wrong with the justice system. You know, plea deals are fairly dangerous, but you know, I did not want to live live through it again mm -hmm. in another like trial. I just I couldn't bear the thought of me having to go to trial and have strangers like judge my experience and come to a verdict. It was just going to be too painful. Mm -hmm. So he got like community service, anger management classes, two felonies on his record permanently. And I remember my attorney was like, the case is over. It's done. Mm -hmm. Like, if we're lucky, you'll never have to get a call from me again. Mm -hmm. And I remember just feeling like, oh, my God, it's over. Oh, wow. like, it's done. I got chills. Oh my gosh. I have like chills <laughs> up and down my arm right now. It's, it's so, oh my God. Like, I cannot explain that feeling, how good it felt for him to be like, I'll never call you again, hopefully. Like mm -hmm. it's done. Like you're, I'm done badgering you about this. You're done having to retell your story before you're ready. Mm -hmm. Like, like I describe it as like for 15, for 16 months, I just had this elephant sitting on my chest. Mm -hmm. And when he said it was over, it's like the elephant was gone. And I like took my first big breath, my first real breath since everything had happened. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's been like two years now since all that happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, like, it's been the best two years of my entire life. Like just leaving it all behind and just starting new and knowing that like, although he didn't get as much of a punishment as I wished, I still did that shit, you know? Yeah. I filed a complaint. I got him two felonies. He's going to have a hard-ass time finding a job, you know? Just, he was finally held accountable for what he'd been doing to me and probably countless other women. Mm -hmm. And who knows what he's doing right now, but luckily that's not my problem anymore because I did. Yeah. I did the best that I could with what I had. And you went from, like, you know, being a victim of abuse to being a survivor. And, like, right now you're a thriver, genuinely speaking like for, yeah you picked yourself up from the situation because I know that's like such a hard part you know what's so inspiring about your story is the fact that you were bold enough to you know speak out you know even like outside of like the judgment from the community and then you're showing people that there's a life outside of the abuse that that can't just be the only defining moment because your TikTok, granted, has a lot of, your social media in general, because also your Instagram has like that tinge of, you know, being a survivor and what it looks like in life, but you have so much more. Like, I think I saw like a video of you getting like your nails done and like you being like part of this like cool fashion thing and you mm -hmm. wear these gorgeous saris. Like you have a life that you have built after mm -hmm. that. And I do want you to talk a little bit about that as well, um, where, you know, all of this has happened. You finally have that freedom. This has gone to rest. Obviously, the trauma you dealt with. So I think the next question I would have is like, when did you start your therapy? And when did you, you know, come on to like social media pl uh, platforms and really start building your following and being the mm -hmm. fabulous person you are today? <laughs> oh, thank you for all that. I really appreciate it. But um, I started therapy almost immediately. Um, really? My parents, like I said, like my parents, my sister, we didn't know what to do, but we're just like, we'll just we'll put you through every counseling therapy that you can go through like we don't know we don't know what to tell you so maybe a therapist will know mm -hmm. it's the first time I had ever gone to therapy because no one knew what else to do mm -hmm. we're like we don't even know what to say to you because we have nothing to say we don't know anything mm -hmm. but I remember therapy helped me so much in that aspect where I finally like was able to dive deep into you know everything that happened wasn't by accident mm -hmm. you know, there was a certain way that I was raised there's a certain community that I was raised into thinking some things were okay. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why I missed all the signs. Mm -hmm. There is, and a lot of part of it is how I grew up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why I missed all the abuse because of a lot of things in our community that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, so once, and then my therapist, bless her heart, she is the reason I finally stopped blaming myself for everything that happened. Because mm -hmm. let me tell you, I blame myself for why he threw his hands on me. I blame myself for getting in the situation I blame myself for not seeing the signs mm -hmm. but in reality none of it was my fault and she helped me come to that conclusion it took like over a month mm -hmm. of like constantly going to my therapist for me to finally be able to say it wasn't my fault wow. um, so once I was able to finally shift the blame off myself um, I realized also that I was I wasn't getting any better mentally mm -hmm. so 
um, they put me on some antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went on that for about half a year until I was able to just come off of it mm -hmm. on my own. But there was just moment, there was just a few months where I was just like, I was so sad. Like, I know that's an understatement. I'm just like saying it lightly. But yeah, I was just, I have no, I had no reason to do anything with my life. I felt like, I just felt like so stuck on that couch, mm -hmm. not being able to do anything. So, you know, luckily I was able to seek therapy, seek medication. And, um, slowly and started you know what? Even saying that you were on medication helps like destigmatize it. I know so many people are like, I don't want to go on to meds and stuff like that. And listen, nobody out of their just like back pockets decides to like medicate people you know it's about exactly. a need and it's about how to help you in that moment and for some people medication along with therapy just helps get them into that place and that clarity for them to even get a little bit of mo motivation to you know find a purpose find that support that's needed and I really really mm -hmm. appreciate you being so forthcoming about that thank you it's so important mm -hmm. to to be medicated I think it really is and people say like oh I don't want to be able to, I don't want to have to use this for the rest of my life and I'm like would you take your heart medicine for the rest of your life if you had to if your heart depended on it yeah there's no different mm -hmm. there's really no different for something you need to be able to function function in a healthy manner mm -hmm. um so I got put on that you know and I took stuff for anxiety because I had quite a bit of PTSD related to my trauma um I had generalized anxiety disorder for a long time but you know hopefully Thankfully, you know, throughout the years, I was able to kind of break free from that. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not an actual diagnosis anymore, mm -hmm. which is something I feel like super proud of because I'm like, hey, look at that. Look at that. You know, I took medication. I did what I could. And I was very fortunate enough to, you know, slowly, slowly transition out of that mindset. You know, I still take stuff from my anxiety to this day mm -hmm. as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but but it, it's a process. And I'm yeah, not ashamed to say anything. Mm -hmm. You worked on yourself. You healed you know, like you went from the survivor to the survivor mentality, as I like to put it. And that's just everyone, should. everyone can be a thriver. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you came from in life, you have the right and you can be a thriver. And so after after all that stuff, I is when I decided to start my advocacy work. So before mm -hmm. TikTok and my plus social media platforms, um, I joined this one organization called Safe Alliance. It's a it's just basically a shelter to help survivors of domestic and sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, through that program, I went through this a core 40 um, hour volunteer program mm -hmm. um, that basically, you know, you help admit people, admit like survivors trying to leave an abusive situation with their kids and provide shelter to them until we can find placement for them and what to do with them and their kids. So like the advocacy work started a long, long before I even started social media. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for a little bit and, you know, I was really hyper aware of just like abuse around me, you know, I was really protective of all my friends and family and it took me about two years to freely speak out about it though. Mm -hmm. I was still a little like hesitant to talk about it because like I said, I didn't know anyone that went through it and no one talked about this stuff on social media. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, I'm going to stay quiet. Especially not um, a brown girl, you know? Not brown girl. Brown girls don't talk about this. This is not something prideful for a brown girl. Mm -hmm. Like you were, you were, you got a divorce, honey. You don't want to boast about that. Mm -hmm. So that was just my mentality. Um, but when I was finally able to process it well enough mm -hmm. to openly talk about it, so it took about two years. I went on TikTok just for fun, just for funsies, and mm -hmm. I uploaded a one bit, a really short, like ten second video, just talking about like being a brown girl and being divorced and still mm -hmm. being proud of it. And, you know, at that time, I got like 100,000 views and my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. So many women had messaged me and they're just like, I just love how nonchalantly you said that. And I'm also like 23 years old and I also had a divorce and I wish I had, you know, I just feels good to know that I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody said that they're not alone, it really resonated with me because when I was going through it, I was so alone. Yeah. There's not a single brown person that was younger that I could not a single person mm -hmm. not one goddamn person I could talk to and relate to about this mm -hmm. so knowing that like I was there for somebody who was going through it right now who was like I didn't know this happened thank you mm -hmm. that just gave me the momentum to be like I'm just I'm just gonna keep going you know I had like a thousand followers at that time and I'm like I'm just gonna keep going I'm gonna keep posting mm -hmm. doing what makes me happy and eventually just by 
telling my story in the way that I did, I was slowly able to build a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, I've talked to thousands, thousands of brown girls mm-hmm. who have gone through this. It is insane how eye-opening it has been to speak to so many people who resonate. And it's honestly a very difficult platform to have because you have so many people that tell you their sad stories Mm -hmm. and they want you to be this person to like help them get out of it. Mm -hmm. But like at the end of the day, I said, like, I I cannot give anyone advice. And it's actually really dangerous if I give somebody the wrong advice Mm -hmm. dealing with domestic violence. So it's just a matter of me helping them find the resources in their community mm-hmm. and asking them, who can you turn to? Do you have a family? Do you have a, you know, is, is there like a organization in your city that you can turn to? You could call, here's a number you can call. But like, it's just, an, I can never be put in a position where I can actually give you direct advice, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very, it's a very difficult platform to work with, but it's just been so rewarding because it's jumpstarted my advocacy mm-hmm. into what I loved and just being able to reach like thousands of people all the time. It's mm-hmm. such a fulfilling line of work, as you know, like this, this is such a fulfilling line of work. It's difficult, oh, it's yeah. sad, it's scary. It, you have to take a break and it has a mental toll on you, but it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, that's kind of how it started and it just keeps on growing, fortunately. That's awesome. And I think that's amazing. Like, I think the impact that you have on these people, like you said, like so many people reached out to you regarding this. I mean, did it surprise you how prominent this is in our society especially like the brown society so surprising the amount of younger women Mm. they're like I also fell into a very dangerous situation I got out and I haven't told anyone I haven't spoken about it and thank you for making me feel proud to be what I did and Mm -hmm. proud to be a divorcee Mm. you know as a result of abuse like you know you know it just gives me so much strength Mm -hmm. when someone says that like you lifted me up you you're the reason I don't feel shame anymore. Like, thank you so much. It, it really just, it just changed. It, it just has changed my life. And yeah, it has surprised me that this happens. Girl, it's happening right now. It's happening all around us. It's happening to our best friends, but they're not telling us. Like, mm-hmm. you just, you just got to be there for people. And, you know, the more confident, I, I feel like the only reason that I have a platform is because I'm confident in what I'm saying. Yeah. You know? that's it. Anyone can tell their story, but I'm so, I feel so confident, so passionate about it. And I say it with no remorse. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the only reason I have a platform, not because my, my case is special, mm-hmm. not because my journey is special. It's something that, that hundreds of thousands of women have gone through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's nothing special. It's unfortunately, it's just another statistic. It, it happens all around us. Mm-hmm. So that's how, that's how I was able to just connect with other people and build it. Mm-hmm. And I think, what you said that so beautifully is that you just spoke your authentic truth you were so authentic and people vibed with it you know you were just there and you were bold and you were yourself and people were like yeah like this person is talking about something I feel so much shame for and you went through that phase of the shame and the guilt and being able to see you not only you know process it and then build a life for yourself like everybody's probably like in awe it's like it's possible there's a possibility then I think that's something in the South Asian society we don't see is the different routes of life and the possibility. We're fed a rhetoric our entire life that, hey, you know, you have to be this good like Daisy girl, you can't do this and you have to wear this and then you have to get married. And when you get married, then whatever your husband allows in some cases, not Mm -hmm. all, but in most cases, that is what your life's trajectory looks like. No one talks about, you know, hey, things can actually be different. you you can be a psych nurse and you know do cool media things and build a following and have a life and create the life that you want that looks different from what we've been fed you know exactly exactly you know I still I still receive a lot of like hesitation from you know sometimes my own family which I do get like they're constantly trying to protect me and not get hurt again I I completely respect them for it so they're not always on board with everything that they decide to do or display Mm -hmm. you know there's still aspects like why do you want to talk about how you're divorced all the time I'm like the narrative isn't that I'm I'm divorced the narrative is that I'm I'm a trauma survivor Mm -hmm. and there's life after that like this story isn't about my ex. Mm-hmm. It really has so little to do with my ex and so much to do with the problems that are in our society. Mm-hmm. It has so much to do with just abuse mm-hmm. apart from him at all. Like it has literally almost nothing to do with him and just about surviving trauma and life after and thriving and not being ashamed of what happened to you. 
Mm-hmm. That's what my platform is based on. You know, mm-hmm. you get so many hate comments of like just men on the internet being like, oh, she's not over her ex. Oh, stop talking about your ex. And I'm like, it's not, this is not about my ex. Mm-hmm. It's about me. Yeah. And what yeah. you're also doing is you're, you're putting out the red flags that maybe other women should be aware of, you know? When you're bringing him into this, it's like, hey, be aware. That doesn't mean every single person who shows interest in you is, you know, bad, but it's just like, have a little bit more awareness and patience. If like someone's really into you, they might wait for you until you're at that comfort level. They wouldn't have to like coax you and like convince you and groom you, you know, like that word grooming is so important because- people groom you in abusive relationships workplaces groom you as well to make you feel like you're not sufficient or efficient enough it comes up in so many forms and I want to go into like another place from this I know we've been talking for like what three hours now yeah I'm like I know I'm sorry this is gonna be like I I think this is like more of an important part because I think you're currently in a relationship right now right Mm -hmm. yeah get it (laughs) <laughs> this is um this is another place where I'm just curious about you know the app the aspect of trusting someone and being intimate once more after coming out from that like mm-hmm. can you speak a little bit about it briefly because yeah yeah definitely I definitely don't want to talk too about too much about like my personal life but I do want to highlight the fact that it was definitely extremely difficult to mm-hmm. um get over the aspect of shame when meeting somebody new mm-hmm. you know I was still in the headspace where I'm like I'm literally damaged goods no one's gonna want me like I'm a brown girl who's divorced and I'm only 20 I'm only 23 at this mm-hmm. time like who the hell is gonna want me no one wants me I thought so little of myself um when I was currently meeting the man in my current relationship and you know it started off as it was it was so non-threatening you know I was his friend for about six months Mm-hmm. and during our friendship is when I told him like really shyly like yeah like this this thing happened to me and then he goes like oh my I'm so glad you're not in that anymore fuck that dude I think that's like the first thing he said to me and I'm like what really nice wait really are you sure like I was just in such denial with his reaction could not believe it and, you know, to this day, he still tells me, like, yeah, I was definitely taken aback that you were divorced. But the more I heard your story, the more I realized, like, this is just a really bad, like, situation that you were in, you know? Like, you didn't even have to be married to this guy for this to be this bad of a situation, you know? Like, the marriage factor wasn't even that big of a deal, because technically, I was only married for, like, three weeks. It was just the aspect that, like, that this happened, I learned from it, and I grew from it, and that, like, he's like, I'm just so happy you're here, and you're alive, and you're thriving, like, this is amazing, and he's like, that's all I see when I see you, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, I don't see your past anything, he's like, I've had relationships, Mm -hmm. but you're gonna judge me for that, you know what I mean, he's like, there's no, I don't, I don't, he's like, I don't understand where this judgment comes from in society, like, you're, you're a wonderful person, Mm -hmm. and just hearing, like, somebody else say, like, a man say that to me, because I was still in the mindset that all men are trash, you know, Mm -hmm. so when he was saying these things to me, it was really awakening, and helped me gain a lot of my confidence, too, Mm -hmm. and the fact that we were able to be friends before we ever got, you know, before I ever progressed to anything else, just showed that, like, he was just, it just helped me realize that, like, there are good men out there, and there are good people out there, and there are people out there that are not going to judge you, you know, and that all this is kind of in your head, Mm-hmm. Like all this shame was just living in my head rent free for no mm-hmm. reason at all. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, it, it was really definitely hard to trust somebody else, but I trusted him because our, our relationship was rooted in friendship. Mm-hmm. I was his friend first. He wasn't like, as like my, my ex-husband, it wasn't just pursuing me right away. Mm-hmm. So it was getting to know me and then our feelings developing mm-hmm. instead of, you know, like I was friends with him for as long as my relationship with my ex was. Yeah. Which is crazy. You know, it was was nice to know that somebody actually wanted me for me and not because I looked a certain way or I was Islamic or what I could provide for him. Mm -hmm. So it just really made me just believe in love again. And and I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that I was able to do that. And that's what I tell all the girls as well. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you were in a bad situation. That doesn't mean all men are terrible. It doesn't mean it, it could happen again. But like when you're a trauma survivor, like you learn so much, you become so aware of like, people's characteristics and you learn things like with your first meeting with them you become so hyper aware Mm -hmm. and my my parents were really scared that they were like 
what if you make the same mistake twice? And I'm like, it'll be, it would be very rare if I fell for the same type of person twice. Mm-hmm. The person I was when I met him and the person I was after him were just so different. I was so much more mature and aware. And I knew that I wasn't going to fall into the same trap again. I was just so aware. I was so untrusting of people. There was just yeah. no way, you know what I mean? Of course. Um, so. sense. And there is, there is hope for like, you know, you allowed that vulnerability and you allowed that trust to come into the relationship and, you know, you made it on your terms where it was like, I want to know this person and I want them to know me. So we're in a relationship, not just like, okay, this just feels really like you're on a roller coaster, you know, the heightened emotions and the passions in that moment. And I always tell my clients this as well, who are like, you know, I just want that like TV romantic. And I was like, dude, you're talking about anxiety. You can't build a relationship (laughs) off of feeling anxious all the time the butterflies you're feeling is like your adrenal gland bro like literally it's not it's not real that stuff is dangerous because once that leaves Mm -hmm. you won't know what to do with the relationship absolutely because then it's like oh it's boring oh we're not intimate and when I work with couples I'm like you need to understand like there you can't be on a roller coaster it can't be like this like unusual sense of excitement and anxiety and you know oh my god when he's there it's like this and I'm thinking about him and it's this and like it this perpetual cycle is also not healthy I mean passion can obviously be there but there needs to also be levels of calm if your baseline is anxious and anxiety responses you will confuse you know unhealthy um behavioral patterns for you know passion you're going to confuse drama for passion and that's something that I work a lot with people trying to like dismantle that but Anessa you are so awesome we've been talking for such a long time yeah it's just I'm just so like I said before I feel privileged to have sat with you and really heard your story from start to finish like I genuinely do feel honored that you allowed me to hold the space for you um thank you been so brilliant hearing it and definitely you know I see you being a thriver and an inspiration to all these women and if there's any last thing you want to put out there whether it's a message to all the women um put out your social media platforms I'm definitely going to link a lot of resources um in this um episode and like this description as well also where people can find you but like take it away closing thoughts I just want to honestly I just want to tell people that like it's just we are taught we are just taught to be ashamed of these things Mm -hmm. you know we're taught to hide our relationship we're taught to preserve our modesty so much Mm -hmm. in this culture and the way that we're raised and that you know like you're you're not damaged goods you're not used goods because you're living life Mm -hmm. you're not you're just so much more powerful than what um the rest of society thinks that you are Mm -hmm. you know and i just like a quick snippet is I realized a lot of that when um, I faced the criticism of the brown community after I got married, after I got my divorce, I received so much like she's done for, I received so much, you know, like as a, as a brown woman, you receive so many rishtas yeah. when you're before marriage. And after I got a divorce, I got rishtas all from divorced men. Like I was, that was it. Like that was me. I could only get rishtas from other people that were already divorced, even if they were in their forties and had a few kids, I was in the same category as them even though I was a 23 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, so do not let the Brown co- community label you. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't let them because if they're always going to disappoint you, you know, label yourself, decide who you are on your own and never be ashamed to live your truth. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that I want other people to know and, and live with and thrive with. Cause you can thrive, not, not going the regular route. You can go the regular route. My sister did, you know, she has a loving husband. She has two kids. She got married young. It worked out perfectly for her. She has an amazing life. And me, I am not married, no kids, divorced. You know, I'm thriving in my career. I'm, I'm being financially independent. Mm-hmm. That's also okay. It's just as amazing. One is not better than the other. So don't, don't make it so like that my narrative is worse because I'm not married or I'm not a certain way mm-hmm. that any other people would want. So I just want people to be strong and be happy with how they're living and knowing that there's no timeline. And people can find me on my socials, OVO underscore Nessa, N-E-S-A. Um, that's my thing on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And, you know, message me if you ever want to. You know, I do I do get around to replying to most people. And I love getting messages from people all around the world and everywhere. So I'd love to speak to anybody who would want to. So, yeah, that's me. 
brilliant. Thank you so much. This was awesome. And we're going to probably see you on your TikToks and Instagram. And if you ever want to come back on What's the Chai, always let me know. Happy to host you. Absolutely. Thank you. Not at all. So that's that. That was the second part of the two-part series with Anessa Tabassum as she talks about being a survivor of domestic abuse, but then also building up her life. It was such a privilege having her on this show. And again, if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to email us, which is going to be at um, what's the chai at summerharoon.com. Everything in terms of social media links, anything that Anessa has talked about will be linked in the description below. We really appreciate you sitting tight with us for this two-part series, but remember, we release an episode almost every week or every other week. Our schedule is on our Instagram, which is what's the chai official. Please do follow us. And if you're listening to on any platform that rates and subscribes like Spotify, iTunes, or Google podcasts, please give us a subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review as well. We are so curious to hear what kind of content do you want next? If you want more focusing on mental health, kind of like the attachment style of, um, episodes I did, or if you want to hear from specific people, influencers, or even people in your community, recommend them to us, send us an email, and hopefully we will see you next week. Take care and have a great one.